everyone. My name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. This is a podcast where we talk about fanfiction. Each episode, the three of us each bring a fic to discuss, and we sure did that this episode. Brenna, would you like to tell us what your fic is? Yes, the fic I brought for this episode, which is a gift for host Nicole, is uh, called Sacrificial Lamb, Self-Proclaimed by Flemeth. Um, this is a fic for the, well, it's not really a fic, it's a fan work for the Locked Tomb series by Tamazin Muir. Um, it focuses on Christabel Oct, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Nick, what did you bring? My fic for this episode, which is a recommendation I gifted to my friend Reed, is the fic Voyages by AO3 user Junos. This is for 17 RPF. It's a K-pop band, as you may know if you've listened to this podcast by now. And the main pairing is Mingyu slash Jihoon, and they are extremely in outer space. Reed, what is your fic for this episode? My fic, which I brought as a gift for Brenna, but actually it turns out was a gift for Nick. <laughs> yeah, baby. Is Leave No Space by Linearity. It is for Formula One, RPF, and the pairing is Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen. As you might have gathered from our intro or maybe the description, this is our annual host rec exchange. For this theme, every year we pick a fic that we are recommending to another host that we think they will enjoy, or maybe sometimes it is us spreading an agenda and just sort of forcing it upon a co-host. It varies a little bit. We'll get more into why we picked the fic that we did for our host in our respective fic sections. But first, in the spirit of recommendations, we thought it would be fun to recommend you a vibe or atmosphere for you to immerse yourself in while you are reading these fics, assuming that you do in fact choose to read them, which you should because all of our recommendations are very good. We'll also be recommending food and drink pairings, which may be familiar as well if you listened to any of our birthday episodes from this past year. Yeah, okay. Can I start? I'm excited. Sure. Okay, so my fic is Voyages. It is a Star Trek AU set in outer space. It has a lot of emotions in it and very pretty prose. So I initially, when I wrote down my recommendations, thought I was recommending this to Reed, but I guess I'm recommending it to you all, Ficklets, because Reed has already read this fic, obviously. Um, I guess if you want to reread, then you could also do this. Okay, so my recommendations. If you really want to feel like you are on a ship in Starfleet, for food, my recommendation, uh, food is maybe a strong word, but my recommendation is Soylent um, so that you can have something <laughs> that just like, you know, you're on the go, you're busy, you're maybe an engineer. Um, so important. For your drink pairing, um, I recommended one of those really glittery vodkas. Oh, I said I'll show a picture. Hold on. I have to show my co-hosts what I'm talking about. It's There's like these kinds of these bottles you can get of vodka that have so much glitter in them they look absolutely poisonous but i think they're technically consumable but this this is the vibe mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 the like vinique bottles or whatever yeah they're mysterious oh that's liqueur yeah yeah vodka vodka wine cocktail taste test okay so somebody did some taste tests on this 
Um, anyway, that's my recommendation for a drink. Please like mix it with something, Ficklets. I can't be responsible for um, binge drinking. Thank you. But if you want that, or you could just get some edible glitter and dump it into whatever drink you want. It doesn't have to be this in particular. I just feel like that uh, shows outer space and the stars quite beautifully. Okay. I also chose, in terms of a vibe, um, I think you should read this early evening in the winter when it's dark but not overly late. I don't think you can read this fic in the morning. Like, you can, but I just don't think you should. So that felt important to me. And then location, I said in someone else's fancy living room. So it has like marble floors, a grand piano, couches that Mm. look like you shouldn't sit on them, but are actually pretty comfortable. Um, And that person, whoever that is, leaves you alone to read and brings you Soylent (laughs) during the process of reading. So that's my recommendation to have the ideal experience reading Voyages by Junos. That's potent. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Brian, you were me. I'll go. Um, yeah, so my conception for how you should uh, experience this fic is that I actually think that to get the full energy of it, you shouldn't read it. You should have someone else present it to you as a PowerPoint mm. because it is a PowerPoint. Um, That's so good. And the energy we're channeling here is sort of PowerPoint night, but it's actually more like the TikToks you see of girls who get together to have like release parties for when Taylor Swift releases one of her like Taylor's versions, uh. not a new album, a Taylor's version. <laughs> because we need this sort okay. of like unhinged dedication um, that I think is really more potent on a re-release. Is it like, is it similar to, this is not Taylor Swift, but the Boys Planet finale watch parties I would see on TikTok of people screaming when they're like one pick made it yeah or is that different but you are like the thing about the taylor swift re-release is that you kind of already know exactly what it's gonna be (laughs) and you are still so incredibly hyped as if it was new (laughs) because it is new Uh, but it's okay so it's like you already watched the finale at home and then you go to this party (laughs) yeah Years later. I don't later. think you're quite understanding the it's the finale, but they've they've reenacted it <laughs> and all the members are there doing exactly the same thing, but they're older now. Yeah, Brenna, I'm yeah, I'm yeah. picking up what you're putting down. Thank you, Reed. <laughs> they have slightly different hairstyles. Yeah, yeah. I completely understand. You. So the energy and vibe is that of the girlies having a Taylor Swift re-release watch party, but instead of listening to Taylor Swift uh, you're watching this unhinged PowerPoint. Um, you are. I was also going to kind of go for a sparkly beverage. For these re- release parties, I feel like the girlies um, are often making beverages that are themed to the different Taylor Swift songs. Um, so sort of that energy, I don't know, something like pink and sparkly and like cutesy. It doesn't even have, it doesn't have to taste good. Like do not concern yourself with the taste. Concern yourself with the aesthetics. Um, and then to eat, you're having some sort of like snack mix, like Chex Mix or something adjacent to that. So I decided for my fic um, in the spirit of Formula One being a sport about cars and driving, I think the ideal atmosphere or vibe is reading it on like public transportation. And ideally, while reading this fic, you will have the experience of reading fic in public where you're having a lot of reactions, but you're kind of keeping all of your screaming very internal and you're like schooling your face into something very neutral and shoving down all of those emotions and reactions because you're in public. Um, 
My food and drink is not really best consumed on public transit because ideally if you're on public transit, you're masking and also like it's not really a great place to just eat and drink anyway. Um, <laughs> but if you so choose to bring this food and beverage aboard whatever transportation you're taking, that's fine. You could put it in your mouth before you get on so you can still wear your mask. Well, I, I guess. Let's um, find out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... For beverage, um, you're going to take a beverage of your choice, although preferably something caffeinated. I say preferably caffeinated because I know that would be a death sentence for Nick. Um, but ideally something caffeinated. Um, and you're going to take this beverage of choice and then you are going to dump it into a different container that is branded for something else. Okay. Is the branding going to be Red Bull? I Like ideally it's <laughs> Red Bull, but I have okay. to assume that most people don't have like Red Bull bl- branded containers. Um, so I'm just allowing you the vibe of it. But like, it's it's when you're watching the drivers post race and you see like Max or Checo and they're drinking out of a gigantic Red Bull branded cup, but you know, or you deeply hope that they are not drinking Red Bull. Um, that is what I'm trying to evoke here. So again, preferably a caffeinated beverage, but beverage of choice, but then you have to put it in a container that has branding for a different company so that people don't actually know what you're drinking. Um, that's the beverage. Uh, and then for food, I thought a slice of cake because both Max and Charles celebrate their birthdays in this fic and they are pretty pivotal moments for the fic. So get yourself a slice of cake. You could go to the store, buy a can of Red Bull, dump out the Red Bull because you don't want to drink it, and then mm-hmm. put a beverage you like instead into that can just in case you don't conveniently have sort of a plastic... Um, it's not even like a cu- like a t- plastic tumbler that's like yeah. branded with Red Bull. Ficklets, I hope you enjoy the vibes, food and beverages that we've curated for you all. Grab your girlies. We're going to Brenda's fic. Alright, so this year I was recommending a fic or fan work for Nicole. Um, the work that I have brought is Sacrificial Lamb Self-Proclaimed by Flemeth. Um, this fic is for the Lock Tomb series by Tamsin Muir. You might know this as the Gideon the Ninth series as well. This fic is structured as a PowerPoint presentation being presented by Christabel Oct to Alfred Quinquay. If you are like, wait, I thought I knew a little bit about the Lock Tomb and I don't recognize either of those characters. We'll get to it. Um, They are slightly more niche and one of the reasons I'm excited to talk about this fic. Um, I do want to give some content warnings right up front for this one. Um, The first tag on this is Canon Typical Suicide Pact Spiraling. This, yes, there is a canon typical suicide pact in these books, and this fic is centered around that. It is done so in a very humorous way, but its entirety of its subject matter is convincing someone else to die. If you're familiar with the Lock Tomb, this might not be surprising. If you aren't and you're like, what the fuck? You don't need to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just want to give that up front before we even sort of get into the content of it, because the content of it is all kind of that. Yes, as mentioned, this is structured as a PowerPoint presentation. It's very text heavy, so it does read 
like there is a lot of written stuff that you're reading which is kind of why in my brain I'm like fic but it is also kind of an alternate media fan work which is one of the things I want to talk about because I am excited about that that's also one of the reasons I picked this one for Nick because I feel like Nick is generally a fan of uh inventive fan works and fan works that are doing things that are different from what we usually see I was intimidated to pick for Nick this year because Nick has been reading so much more fic than I have been reading. And even though I, in the past, have read for some of the fandoms Nick has been reading heavily for this year, like The Untamed, I just knew that they had read so much more than I had. And I was like, oh God, where do I go? Um, So we did help each other out a little bit by giving each other some directions like we do with Rec Exchange where people say here are some fandoms I might be interested in and Nick had mentioned Locked Tomb so I went digging around over there and came upon this in the tag um I almost scrolled past it because I was just like I don't know about Christabel like whatever um but then I saw it had zero words which then I was like oh so it's a fan work and then I opened it up and I was immediately engaged um I think it's important for the ficlets to know that if you don't know anything about The Locked Tomb, or if you have not read Nona the Ninth, probably, honestly, this will be genuinely unparsable. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. as I guess as fun as it can be with the subject matter, but like, it's funny. It's clever. It's very graphically interesting. It will make no goddamn sense. If you're fine with that, by all means. Uh, but that's going to be, I think, our discussion is going to keep that in mind and try to navigate our own light confusion about the events in the past in the Locked Tomb series, as well as like discussing this actual fan work. Yes. Thank you, Nick. That was helpful. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of context for this discussion so that you can hopefully listen to it even if you aren't familiar with the locked tomb or so that you can listen to it if you are familiar with the locked tomb but have just forgotten a lot of things which is how i usually feel if you are in the process of reading the locked tomb and very worried about spoilers i would say this has spoilers through nona so go forth as you may okay In the Locked Tomb series, there's sort of two major points in time that we are concerned with narratively. They are 10,000 years apart. The later one is where Gideon takes place, where Harrow takes place, um, and where all of our sort of main characters are existing in like quote unquote present day. Um, The other is 10,000 years earlier where Earth dies and necromancy is born. when this happens, one of our characters, John Gaius, or Gaius, I'm not sure how we're saying it, um, I didn't listen to the Nona audiobook, um, becomes a necromancer, and also God, and also sort of a king figure, and also sort of a Christ figure. There's a lot going on with him. There's there's a lot of sort of religious Christian imagery in these books, Um He collects a a group of disciples around him who uh, dedicate themselves to learning about necromancy. um, And their ultimate goal is to become lictors, which is sort of a pairing of two people where their sort of souls and energies become intertwined so that they are ostensibly immortal. Uh, I mean, they are killable, but they will live forever and also have an infinite reserve of like necromantic powers. The problem with this is that only John, or Jod, as you might know him, John God, um, and his lictoral partner, Electo, are the only ones who've managed to do this in a way where they both survived. For everyone else, the cavalier in the pairing 
um, dies. And the necromancer absorbs their energy in a way that sort of gives them permanent reserves of like necromantic powers. It took them a long time to like figure this out. Our sort of main character here in this fic, Christabel, is a cavalier to Mercy Morn, who is a necromancer. So they are sort of a, a pairing. Um, both This fic does imply that they are romantically involved, but they're also just sort of a duo in the story. Christabel has become convinced that the only way to attain lictorhood is for her to die. This is somewhat true. Um, and in the <laughs> via this PowerPoint, Christabel is attempting to convince Alfred to make a suicide pact with her um, and for them both to die in order for their necromantic partners to ascend to lictorhood. Yes, that's the premise of this. In actuality, this PowerPoint is pink and sparkly and filled with emojis. <laughs> it is garish in a way that like is almost off-putting except for the fact that the locked tomb is so goddamn riddled with memes that like it's actually the perfect fandom for this to exist in i think if this was in almost any other fandom i'd be like this i can't deal with this like this is just not for me um but there's something about it paired with the locked tomb fandom that is just so spot on and wonderful i also am just kind of obsessed with like the plethora of like heart emojis and font choices and just like pink sparkles combined with like the just like the really dark subject matter that again feels very perfectly locked tomb um and i am just like in awe of the author for sort of nailing this vibe so perfectly um i laughed out loud during this experience um yeah there's a lot that i want to delve into about this but first of all co-hosts what were your reading experiences like i loved this so much it was so fun um figlets if you listen to this show and you think that your reading tastes align with mine i think you should know that i found this entire episode to be full of bangers um so you should read all the fix thank you so much i guess this one if you don't know about the lock too might be kind of hard but i'm just letting you know Brenna did not have a way of knowing that I had recently become interested in Christabel as a character. I have fallen down some locked tomb Tumblr rabbit holes as of late. There is so much lore, and people out there are doing such a good and important work parsing what the heck is going on in these books at any given moment. I'm very appreciative of it. I have, wow, read a lot of quite long posts. And Christabel's role in everything is very fascinating to me. Um, she is an interesting character, and I had just read a funny post about her recently. I'll probably share it later. Um, so this ended up being a very perfect choice for me. I love a non-traditional fan work. I think that the information in this fic fan work PowerPoint is conveyed super effectively all of the choices, from the design choices, to the meme usage, to the emojis, to the sparkles, um, down to like the actual content of the slides and the implications therein, all of it really worked for me. It's a super quick read as well, um, so that was nice, because the other two fics are a little bit longer than we, I guess, usually do these days. <laughs> um, so overall, really enjoyed it. Knocked it out of the park. Very excited to discuss further. Unsurprisingly, I also had an absolute blast with this. Um, yeah, as my co-host said, the formatting is so fun. It's just doing something kind of unique and different and also that feels so perfectly suited to its canon. I think if you're not super familiar with The Locked Tomb, it is hard 
to explain like why this super grim subject matter is like, yeah, no, it makes complete sense for it to be presented in this pink sparkly PowerPoint, but that is just sort of the contradictory vibe of this series. And one thing I love about the fact of this existing is that we don't actually know a whole lot about Christabel in canon. There's a couple reasons for this. One is that the things that we know of the like 10,000 years ago timeline are limited, especially the like immediately after the earth dies and Jod brings people back. We've been told some things, but in very obtuse ways. And so the things that we have learned about Christabel and about Alfred and about a lot of the OG lictors and cavaliers is not a lot. We know that uh, Mercy and Augustine have very different opinions of Christabel. Mercy is like, she was great. She was just passionate. And Augustine was like, she was deeply fucking unhinged. And I think both of those things can be true. But yeah, one of the things that I love about the fact that this exists is that it can only really come from fans and in particular this author doing a lot of work to fill in gaps and to make assumptions. Um, as Nick said, I think all three of us have consumed a lot of secondary fan material, sort of picking apart the Lock Tomb, trying to put pieces together, trying to make sense of the canon and the timeline and the little clues that have been left for us. I have really enjoyed reading this series, but I absolutely would not be able to parse like 30 to 40% of it if it had not been spelled out to me later by people after I had read the book and gone back to be like, what in the hell was happening there? And so this is just a really, I think, fun example of fans doing the thing of digging in. And I don't know, I was thinking about how in our genre and subgenre panel, Brenna talked about the fact that sometimes fan fiction is someone taking a guy who has five lines and going, this is my blurb, I'm going to write about him. And that's not exactly the case here. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not some random person in the background who's only had five lines. This is someone who is somewhat essential in some ways to, like, the plot and the canon of the series. But it is someone, again, who we know very, very little about. There are a handful of dialogue lines referencing Christabel, and we know canonically that Christabel and Alfred did commit suicide together to get their necromancers to ascend electorhood. Those are about the only concrete facts we have. She's referred to as M's nun for a lot of the kind of past bits in Nona the Ninth. She's not even Christabel or C. There's a different C who takes precedence. So she is M's nun. So yeah, I think one of the things I just love about this is how representative it is of Locktomb fandom as a whole and the fans' desire to really make the best of the very confusing information that we have. Something that... I love about this sort of going off of what Reed was just saying is that essentially what some of what Christabel is doing in this PowerPoint really mimics what I think a lot of fans are doing about the lock tomb itself. So as we've mentioned, the subject matter of this PowerPoint is that uh, Christabel is attempting to convince Alfred to commit suicide with her so that their necromancers can ascend to lecturhood. We gather from this PowerPoint that this is not the first time she's attempted to convince um, Alfred or Mercy Mourner Augustine of this, um, but it sounds like one of their sort of halting points previously was that this plan would go against the initial Cavalier co code that uh, John gave out to everyone. One of the interesting things here is that Christabel is essentially sort of like picking apart the text that she's been given from John for her own character purposes in a way that I think really mimics how fans pick apart the text of the locked tomb to sort of figure things out and like 
put pieces of the plot together. Um, so I don't know. I just really enjoyed that because this felt like such a fan work that's like made for fans who enjoy this part of like the fanish existence. The part where like you look at one little thing and you sort of pull it apart and dissect it. Um, because she's basically coming up with reasons why like why this would work and like using textual evidence to support herself <laughs> in a way that I just found really, really like engaging. And it also definitely like taught me or like re re-educated me on parts of sort of the lictoral process. Um, parts of this are, are made up, um, but I'm accepting them into my own fanish understanding of the Locked Tomb trilogy. Well, of the Locked Tomb series until Tamsin Muir does something to contradict them, which she very well might in Electo. Um, but until we get Electo and until it's in my little hands, I'm accepting this as canon. I also just want to like, I don't, I, I need you guys to, who are listening to understand what the tone of this PowerPoint is. So use your imagination for a moment, Ficklets. This slide is pink and has sort of a swirly background um, and a frame of heart and fire emojis. And then in black text, it says, being that the sparkle emoji, crown emoji, skull emoji, Emperor John Gaius I, Necrolord Divine, aspires to extend his generosity and benevolence beyond his immediate radius. The eighth houses, whose children are our children, grow and multiply, and as they grow, so do their needs and furthermore, our obligations to the houses we serve. The eightfold word has been obtained and rendered legible through both labor and devotion. The Necrolord himself has made it clear in confidence to his servant, Christabel Oct, heart swirly emoji, sword emoji, that he is in urgent need of not only disciples, but also saints who might act as his hands where his hands cannot be. The blessing of immortality granted through proximity to the emperor now wanes. Um, so that's our introduction to Christabel's argument here. Um, and also just like the tone that continues throughout this. I don't even like, I wish I had a word to like classify how this is written. Um, I really don't, but I'm obsessed with the tone it takes. <laughs> it's written in this kind of formal voice with like stuffy is the word that's coming to mind in a way that like absolutely tracks for I think the vibe that John was trying to set for his early disciples. And then you have that contrasted with like the way it visually looks in the emojis, which just again creates an, an undefinable but perfect vibe. I would like to read this post about Christabel. Please do. Please. Since I was thinking about it. Um, it's by Tumblr user Last Flower of Your House. And it reads, She was a devout nun. She fully believed that some guy TM was God. She killed herself to bolster someone else's power, not once but twice. We know like five things about her, and all of them are fucked up insane. She was a delight. She was effervescent. She was kind to animals and children. She probably initiated a suicide pact, which she then carried out. She didn't mind being trepanned on the regular. She was God's favorite sacrificial lamb. She had strange and unnerving eyes and a strange and unnerving worldview. She probably invented soul siphoning. She was seemingly incapable of separating love from fanatical devotion. She's haunting the narrative. She was a zealot. She was an idolater and a heretic. She was the first one to figure out what needed to be done and the only one with the balls to do it. And she didn't have the intellect you'd ordinarily find in a sandwich or an orange. <laughs> I didn't say her name, but she popped into your head, didn't she? <laughs> it's tagged Christabel Oct, the locked two. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Like, Thank wow, you, Nick. Her. Yeah, more like the Oct Tomb, am I right? <laughs> I would love to know if there is any other character that came to anyone's mind reading that book. Right. 
<laughs> and if so, point me towards that book series, please. Yeah, that's intriguing. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, it's... Christabel is a fascinating character. I think so much of what we know about those early disciples, both before and after the capital R resurrection, uh, in the locked tomb in the 10,000 years ago time era um, narrative, they are so fascinating to me. We get these tiny little snippets of them that are just buried under so much other information. Nona gives us much more than we'd gotten previously, but we got glimpses of most of them in Harrow as well. And I really am so impressed by fandom for like digging in and figuring out, okay, I want to tell this story. I want to tell this story about them. I'm going to create this fan work. I'm going to do this, that, or the other, because there really just isn't that much to go off of at the same time that there is a ton to go off of. So I just find that particularly impressive. And I think it feels to me like such a community effort of people bouncing things off of each other, because I think these books are, I don't know, maybe I am just um, inferior in my literary analysis, but I think they are so hard to figure out on your own. I think you really have to bounce ideas off of people and theories and dig back in for evidence and see what other people are saying and try to put pieces together that way. This definitely feels like a series that is best consumed in community, both in that I enjoy them very much as books on their own, but I have had way more fun and gained a better appreciation for them in talking about them with you two and our other friends who have read the books. And also, is her name Rachel on TikTok? Shout out to my bestie, Rachel. Mm -hmm. You don't know me, but you <laughs> this girl turned an entire wall of her room into a timeline with like post-it notes and note cards and tracking whose soul was going where and what was happening in what timeline and was instrumental in me understanding what in the goddamn hell went on in Harrow the Ninth. So yes, I just <laughs> agreed with Nick. It is a difficult book to figure out, but I think it also kind of makes it more fun to then be even indirectly in conversation with other fans who are trying to piece things together. Yeah, something that I think is very interesting in sort of fandom's exploration of these initial uh, disciples who become the lictors um, is that we know so little about them. And what we do know is sort of contradictory between what we know of their characters that are sort of just defined by initials in Nona pre-resurrection and then who they are post-resurrection and as lictors. Um, and those are all kind of different because upon resurrection, Jod wipes their memories, but he must keep part of their personalities because the reason he brought most of them back is like they were his besties. <laughs> um, and you wouldn't really bring someone back as your bestie and then just completely remove them of everything that made them your bestie. I mean, maybe Jod would, but I feel like he's a little bit more sentimental than that. Um, I really appreciated this uh, post that Nick linked us to earlier uh, by Tumblr user Race for the Iron Throne um, that's just titled Thoughts About the OG Lictors um, that really helped me sort of remember and recontextualize what was going on sort of in uh, the parts of Nona where we learn about all of these characters pre and post resurrection. But I thought one thing that was also really interesting was it sort of delves into how much memory these people have. And I feel like this fic also sort of explores that in a way, because one thing we do know about Christabel is that in her previous pre-resurrection life, she was a nun. And I think that like religious devotion and like religious faith really comes through here. And also like, as I was saying, there is an element of like studying the word, um, here the word of of Jod, but previously probably the word of the Bible, um, that 
I find really interesting for her as a character, um, especially because something that's very interesting about the Lock Tomb in general for me is the placement of John as a character and like all of the things that he's supposed to represent um, and like as sort of the creator of the universe. But he's also a physical being who's just like around and he's also like the emperor. And that's a lot of things to be at once. I guess speaking of sort of Christabel's religiosity, there's this slide partway through that's Christabel has been calling this plan, this suicide pact plan, uh, Curum Igniorum. I don't know how to pronounce Latin things. That's my best go. And this this slide is a con of that plan. Um, and it says, we would cease to walk physically among our disciples or stand directly in God's light. But our souls would, and this transference of soul would, furthermore, enable the reach of his divine light to spread to realms beyond which we have ever dared dream. Mortal cowardice has no place in a cavalier's heart and should not be the vice that withholds us from our truest purpose. I just, I don't know, this was really interesting to me because I think it's one of the places that you're seeing where the little bits of sort of canon knowledge of Christabel are like coming through as character choices that this uh, author is making in a way that I found just like really engaging and compelling. Also, there's a Rickroll in this story, which I think was impressive to pull off in written form. So thank you to the author for that. Mm -hmm. That was one of those things, I think, as Bren was saying in the beginning, that this style of PowerPoint might seem a little bit overdone if it were not based on a canon that incorporates Earth memes into its like far, far future, but just a little bit different than the way you'd expect them. Like there's a part in... Harrow, where Jod says, none house left grief. And my reaction was like, oh, brother, but that's so <laughs> very Jod. And so um, to find out that he, at least according to this PowerPoint, that he framed the eight theorems of the Cavalier as a Rickroll, like they must never give up on their adept. They must never let their adept down. They must never run around or deceive their adept. I was like, oh my God. Like, of course, it is so perfect of this author to make that choice. Yeah, it honestly wasn't until I got to the run around one that I got it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it took me until run around. And then I was like, both screaming and also groaning, which feels correct. One other thing I wanted to say about this fan work is that we have talked about multimedia fix on the pod before. And I think all three of us do very much enjoy them. And recently, I was actually thinking about uh, creating a sort of multimedia non-traditional work myself with this like very nice 2023 like planner that I got that I was like, I'm never going to use this. And when I got it for Christmas last year, Nick was like, you should make it into a fic. And I was like, that's a great idea. I'll revisit that at the end of 2023. And now it's the end of 2023. And I was like, I still very much want to do that. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, what is a, a fic or what is a story that would be better told in a non-traditional format versus just as prose? And I think this is a great example of that. I think this so easily could have been a prose-based fic where Christabel is approaching Alfred like, hey, bestie, here's what we should do. But I think it would be hard to have, again, that sort of indescribable blend of tone that we've been talking about, um, the sort of punchiness, the humor that is brought to a rather serious subject. I think all of that is conveyed so effectively because of the format in which it is presented in. And so I just wanted to highlight that I think this is a really impressive and good example of the ways in which you can do something really unexpected and cool with fan works. Thank you for joining us on our journey through Christabel's presentation, which she apparently titled suicide underscore pact underscore nia dot pptx. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this fan work. I thought it was just incredibly clever and also really 
like was a great example i think of the level of thinking that people in the locked tomb fandom are doing like people over there are doing scholarly work and it never fails to impress me um if you are familiar with the locked tomb fandom i would definitely recommend giving this one a go maybe on your screen in powerpoint format in my fic mingyu promises to jihoon that he'll never give him up let him down run around or desert him let's talk about it my fic for this episode that i brought for my friend reed is Voyages by AO3 user Junos. It's a 17 fic. It is a Star Trek AU. The main pairing is Mingyu slash Jihoon, also known as Jigyu. And they're in space, for sure. I brought this fic for Reed for a few reasons, one of them being that Reed likes 17 and has been reading some 17 fic recently. And also when I said, Reed, what should I bring you? They were like, you could bring me a 17 fic. I said, that's a good idea. I also asked Reed what kind of reading experience they wanted to have, and Reed wanted something that had some emotional punch to it, so this is one of the first fics that I thought of that I have really loved. It is beloved in my fanish circles, so I'm very excited to be able to talk about it now. Before I get further into it, I will lay out some content warnings for you, the first of which I think is just canon-typical, canon-typical, genre-typical violence. Um... Canon typical violence would be like Hoshi biting someone. <laughs> it's canon typical for Star Trek. It's not canon typical for Seventeen yes. as a K-pop no, group. It's not. <laughs> no genre typical is like Star Trek AU, space opera in general. Typical violence. None of the like main characters die in the story. So, just so you know, um, there is also Pon Far typical dubious consent I think everyone is pretty into it they're like super in love but just what that brings about in terms of like the fuck or die element and the last warning I have is that there is kind of pre-story parent death so Mingyu thinks about how his parents have passed away and that is uh, an element in this story as well is it worth explaining what Pon Far is for people who might not be as familiar with Star Trek or do we get into that in the actual discussion if you're a Vulcan you get a fever and you basically go into heat and you've got to do something about it or you're in trouble, baby. Sorry that my brain went a fever you can't sweat out. That one's okay, for Brenna, yeah. not for Nick. Yeah. I know about it. Uh-huh. It's one of those bands. <laughs> I don't know which one. <laughs> well, it's one of their songs or albums or something, but I don't no, know no, which I know, one. I know. It was just, I like the way it reminded me of when my mom tries to talk about um, anything. <laughs> over there yeah it's one of those bands (laughs) or like the time my therapist asked me if fandom was a website and i was like well technically yes but no not in the way i'm using it (laughs) anyway my goodness wow Yes. So in this story, we follow mingyu who is human and who is a starfleet guy and we also follow jihoon but we're in mingyu's pov for the entirety of this story and we're kind of following his desires his feelings his emotions as he non-chronologically develops feelings for commander jihoon who is a vulcan learns about vulcans learns about ponfar and then does a bunch of stuff i'm trying not to spoil it but then i realized i got too far into the story so i had to be vague at the end sorry <laughs> if you read it then you'll understand um i love this story for so many reasons i'm very excited to talk about it i like remembered loving it but i finished rereading it and wow 
it's so in my heart. I just love it. I think it's so good. I'm excited to discuss. Okay, those are my initial vibes that I will share. Co-hosts, what did you think of this story? I loved this. I said this a little bit at the end of last episode when you revealed what fake you were bringing for me, but this is a fake that has been in my Marked for Later for a while, so much so that when I went into my Marked for Later to pull it up, uh, AO3 helpfully informed me that I had opened it 16 times before. Um, I don't think that's an exactly accurate representation. Um, I think those numbers are always a little bit higher than is actually representative of how many times I have opened with the intention of reading, but... Um, <laughs> 16 individual times Reed was like, it's voyages time, and then got cold feet. <laughs> Plus one time they actually read the thing. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> and it's not that I have not read this fic for any particular reason. It's not like I was like, oh, I don't think I'll enjoy this. I don't know. Sometimes you know you're going to like a thing, and then it just sits in your marked for later for a long time. Maybe that's just me, but so it goes. Anyway, that meant that I was really glad to have a concrete reason, a deadline to read this fic, and I was very glad that I did. That's like the core of this podcast, I feel like. We started it because we wanted to make each other read things. <laughs> so true. And every once in a while, Literally. that reason returns to the forefront of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I am very much a fan of Jigyu. Um, Jihoon Woozy is my bias in 17. I'm, I have a bias line. He is technically mm -hmm. my number one boy, but it's they're, the top three are all like pretty I close like to I each other. I feel like I didn't even know that. Yeah. I, it's like, I judge my biases on... If I see a photo of them and I start emitting a high-pitched noise, mm -hmm. that generally is a pretty good indication they've made it somewhere into my bias line. Um, yeah, Woozy was the but first I feel like your actual bias, you're cursing at them. And you want to, like, dropkick them into the middle of, like, a highway. Yeah. Uh -huh. No, that here's the thing. I love Seventeen a lot, <laughs> genuinely, and I really enjoy, like, them as a band, their content, etc. But I definitely feel way less feral about the individual members, about, like, ships. I have a couple of ships that I enjoy. I enjoy Verkwan. I enjoy Jigyu. Um, but I have less, like, I think, intense feelings about them, which therefore means that I'm open to reading a lot. Despite the fact that I am not... I would not consider myself Trekkie. I've consumed Star Trek things, and I enjoy it. Um, most of the Star Trek stuff I've consumed now is, like, fic for this pod. Uh, despite the fact that I'm not super into Star Trek, I do love, like, a space moment... And I really enjoyed this as a Star Trek AU. I think I had the exact right level of knowledge to enjoy it and be in the world. It was perfect. You can trust me, an expert in Star Trek. Lore. Yeah. Everything was exactly 100% Star Trek certified. Yeah. I think this fic did a great job with its characterizations and with so many other little moments. And Nick, you did deliver on giving me something with an emotional punch. Um, somewhere in my notes, I wrote... I love scenes that feel horrible to read, and there were a couple of those in here, and I mean that, like, positively. Like, I love when I feel wretched reading a fic, and this did achieve that for me. Every once in a while you say something like that, and I get a, have a brief moment where I think you're speaking in third person. <laughs> well. And then I have to, like, remember that that's not what you meant, probably. <laughs> it is not. Yeah, I did not know about this fic previously. This was not marked in my Marked for Later, and I had not opened it 16 times. Um, this was my first introduction to Voyages, the 17 Star Trek AU fanfiction. Um, I had a good time with it. I am probably more Trekkie than I am Carrot, um, although I'm not like deeply Trekkie. I like Star Trek a lot, but I've I have not seen all of it by like any stretch of the imagination. I've seen a few series. 
I've also listened to some Seventeen albums and usually know the boys, although sometimes some of them get lost for me <laughs> in the music videos. Um, I also struggle a little bit with fix like this, where it's using uh, more given or birth names rather than stage names, because I'm like, wait, this guy? This one was better. The last time I read a Seventeen one, I was less versed with Seventeen. This time I know Seventeen a little bit better, and I... Um, I think I navigated their names with more ease. So that was a win on the Brennan You Brenner are so meter. strong. Thank you. Um, I definitely enjoyed the Star Trek aspect of this. I've been in a Star Trek zone recently. I watched season two of Strange New Worlds recently um, and had a great time. So I have been in the mood for Star Trek fic. And this honestly read a lot like Star Trek fic. I feel like the person who wrote, wrote this definitely knows their Star Trek. It definitely felt imbued with the essence of Trek, not just... Uh, sort of a device for Ponfar. <laughs> um, uh, I, having said that I, I know the 17s, um, Mayhew is not a 17 I'm like particularly well acquainted with. Um, I have not read much Mingyu fic and like, I don't really like know a lot about his sort of like standard fandom characterization, but I definitely enjoyed him here. I thought it had a really nice balance between uh, giving him emotional depth, but then also sort of being a little bit of the classic Star Trek character who will run headfirst into danger. He was definitely giving Captain Kirk at times in a way that like I appreciated. Um, I had a little bit of fear going into this because sometimes with a Star Trek AU, especially one that does make a character Vulcan, you sort of encounter the, I said you were Vulcan, but you're actually just written as Spock problem. Um, and thankfully, I felt like Jihoon did not just read as Spock in this fic. So I was very grateful for that. He does feel like his own individual character who is also a Vulcan here. Um, but yeah, I was a little bit worried about that at the beginning, just because I have encountered that in other Star Trek AUs. But Junos, I think you did a very admirable job of not falling into the trap of this is how all Vulcans are just because Spock is basically the only Vulcan we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited to get more into what this fic does, but that was my sort of initial reading experience. Wow, voyages. Everyone, if only you knew how it felt to be me rereading this fic that I love so much. <laughs> I just wish you understood, but you don't, and that's okay, because maybe someday you can. I will try to express it anyway. One thing that I love so much about this story is kind of what both of my co-hosts said, even Brenna being less familiar with Seventeen, this Minkyu is so dear to my heart. He's so important. I think this actually is a pretty standard characterization for him. Um, there is a lot in there about like his big heart and the fact that he's pretty smart and pretty emotionally intelligent and able to pick up on things, but also makes pretty big decisions. He's not a very cautious person. Um, and I really appreciated how that translated over to this kind of setting. One thing I really enjoy about AUs, especially I think with RPF, is that they operate so much as character study. We talked about this in our mini-sode about genre and genre fusion, but the fact that we're able to get so many layers of characterization out of these decisions, out of these heightened situations, out of all the backstory, out of all of the different circumstances that can arise. One of my favorite, fairly, I think, 
I don't know that it's small or subtle because it's a big part of the story, but an interesting characterization choice that the author made here was having Mingyu be very attached to this journal of a former captain. And not only the journal itself, which we get some quotes out of and we get to understand this captain, uh, but also the annotations in the journal from someone who ostensibly knew him and outlived him. Sorry, can I interject? I have a quick yeah. clarifying question to ask. Um, sure. Is the journal supposed to be from one of the members of Monster X? Because I googled the name and it matches with one of the members of Monster X, but I wasn't yes. sure if that was intentional or just like a coincidence. I fully thought that they were OCs. Wow. <laughs> no, okay. Brenna's correct. Um, I do believe these are Monster X's. Okay. Um, I think that it is more the classic fandom thing of like i need a name i'm gonna find someone from a different group mm -hmm. and monster x and 17 debuted the same year and are pretty good friends i think across the board that's why i was also so curious that's probably why that was if mingyu like had a friendship with that monster x or something and if we were supposed to be like i think so if that was a little easter egg um yeah anyway sorry to interrupt i meant to clarify that with you guys no, earlier good. and then i forgot <laughs> yeah all good yes um i do believe yeah this is it's show news journal i think he's the leader of monster x Anyway, I just think you can do so much with those layers. Like, I don't know. I always want, if you're in someone's POV and it's a close POV the way this one is, I always want like every single thing they do and the reactions they have to things to inform character and characterization and the choices that they make in the narrative. And I think this fic did such a good job with that. So I'm, I'm fine and normal about it. I'm so calm. But I wanted to shout out that particular piece. Journals in general are a theme in this story and they come up later too. But that one element I thought was so smart and isn't automatically something you think of when you think of like, oh yeah, a Star Trek AU, whose journal, annotated journal, should I have them find, read through, and like emotionally connect with? <laughs> one aspect of this fic that I want to talk about is the fact that it is nonlinear, um, because I thought it was both very effective and also sometimes it was a little bit of a homework uh, problem for me. <laughs> um I don't know. I've talked about this on the pod before that sometimes I just get very into the weeds of like wanting to sort out details of something, especially when I'm not the most familiar with them. The way that this fic is set up is that it's two chapters. And in the first chapter, especially, um, you get a lot of little scenes that are all under a subheading of the star date, which is formatted as uh, the year and then the day in the year. So like 227, if it's like the 227th day of that year. The second chapter is also the same, but the second chapter only has like two or three dates, really. Uh, but the first chapter has a lot of different dates. And I realized pretty quickly that we were getting scenes that were happening in like subsequent days or really close in relation to one another, but we were getting them at all different points in the chapter. And as someone who's not super familiar with Star Trek, and also probably frankly, even if you are super into Star Trek, my brain is not wired to parse star dates um, like, I was not keeping in my head the knowledge of, like, when all of these different scenes were happening, but I very much wanted to. And so what I started doing is I went back to the top, and I wrote down the first star date, and I wrote myself, a, like, a couple of words about, like, what that scene was about. And then for every scene, I would start placing it in this building timeline and, again, leave myself a handful of notes so I could remember what that scene was about. Um, I can't necessarily recommend that as a reading experience to everyone because it is, like, it... I'm in the middle of reading the fic and then I take myself out for a second to do the timeline and then I go back in. But for me, I was glad that I did that um, because A, I like feeling grounded in a fic and that helped me do so. But B, 
it added a lot of context and weight to scenes that I think I might have missed otherwise because I might have missed how they connected to one another. Um, and one of the ways I'm thinking about that is pretty early in the fic, um, like one of the earliest scenes, you find out that Mingyu and Wanu have slept together a handful of times, which I was like, hell yeah, I love this choice. I love when a fic includes more than just sort of the main pairing because I think it adds some interesting like nuance and depth. Um, and then you get a scene with Vernon and you find out that they hooked up. And I was like, damn, Mingyu, how many people on this ship have you slept with? Uh, and then later when you sort of get more context, especially for the Vernon scene and where that fits in relation to Mingyu and Jihoon's relationship, I was like, oh, damn, Mingyu, like, are you okay? It became way sadder. <laughs> um, and I don't necessarily think you need to have done what I did and like make yourself a timeline to get the impact of those scenes. But for me, again, I liked doing it and then being able to recontextualize what I had already seen and put it into this general timeline of Mingyu's life aboard the ship um, and his relationship with these people. So yeah, I, I think the choice to make this fic nonlinear was really effective, and I think it was a good way to give us information. I will just also say honestly that I did get a little lost at the beginning before I was making my little timeline, and that it was a little bit hard for me to keep track of exactly when things were happening. So I had full faith in you. I knew you'd be able to sort it out, Reed. I definitely thought about that when I was recommending this to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I decided to just vibe after like the third star date because I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm bad when it's just standard dates that we have in present day. I'm even worse when it's star dates. I have no context for these things. Um, so I was like, honestly, I'm just going to trust that the author will do what they're intending to do. Because when an author is making sort of a what feels like a non-standard choice, I guess, by doing something like making it non-linear. I'm like, okay, this has to serve a purpose. So like, I'm going to trust that you will achieve your purpose and like, take me where you want to go with this choice. I think here for me, it felt very much like the non-linear narrative. The purpose of it was to emphasize character choices for Mingyu rather than plot. Um, I think we literally talked about this in the minisode when we talked about Switch, but like, with Star Trek, it is sort of like there's always a crisis happening on board whatever starship you're on board with. So it's very easy, I think, for it to become wrapped up in like the plot of those crises. And here, um, I think using the nonlinear narrative in particular, it shoves those crises to the side and focuses more on like Mingyu's reaction to them and like how they're impacting him. And like a lot of this is like Mingyu being negatively impacted by shit that's happened in his life, either sort of in the past that's coming back up for him, um, or like literally like getting injured um, during like Starfleet missions. So yeah, I mean, I think like we've definitely read a number of fics that deal with nonlinear narrative and they all have like a reason for doing it. And I think here it definitely worked to create a character driven story, even sort of within the larger sphere of an AU that like often brings plot in like it's hard to kind of do like a space opera setting without having some space things going on <laughs> and like some space things mm -hmm. do go on but like obviously ultimately what it ends up sort of focusing on is a much more like personal crisis of jihoon's rather than like some other sort of like stumbling upon a planet or other aliens i mean i guess Vul vulcans are aliens but everyone's an alien in some way in starfleet humans are aliens too mm -hmm. to other planets anyway you get my point so true i will say wait i have one gripe with this fic um okay 
And it's that I have one bias in Seventeen and One Bias only, and he was only here for like two lines, <laughs> and it wasn't nearly enough, and I, I, that did make me upset. Um, so I just needed to voice that as I could tell that this wasn't a gift for me because it didn't have like <laughs> barely any Joshua. So <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's I'm okay. not because I wasn't recommending it right, to you. Right? <laughs> but if no, I but had like been, that's I guess how we I would really bad. be clear. I don't think it would necessarily be like a huge surprise for someone to recommend me 17 Star Trek AU. Like those are things I like, but the lack of Joshua makes it clear that it wasn't a Brenna recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) First and foremost, this was a gift to myself. Reed just incidentally (laughs) also received it. Um, I do want to read some lines. I think that there are so many pieces of beautiful writing in this story And I pulled a couple bits that when I put them next to each other, I made myself really sad. So I'm going to read them. (laughs) The first bit is really early on in the story. When Mingyu and Jihoon meet, drink together, Mingyu doesn't realize that he's like kind of wasted and Jihoon is definitely not. And they talk until Mingyu is sober. And here is something that Mingyu thinks. Ahem. Mingyu almost asked that night about the mind meld, the famous art of Vulcan, almost said, I'd like to be your friend. Can we skip to the part where you know me, and I know you, and there are no secrets? I want to feel like I've known you all my life. Okay, so already potent. Wow, what a normal thing to think about this guy that you just (laughs) met, Mingyu. You are not at all weirdly intense about your relationships. Incredible. And then... Is it really a Mingyu-centric fic if the devotionisms are not out in full force? I can't even speak about it. I'll be sick on this podcast. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) Later, (laughs) I also wrote, I will never in my entire life get tired of reading a mind meld scene in any Star Trek fic or AU. This is so true. I'm always obsessed with how people choose to write them and they do spoilers, mind melds at the end so that they can have a pon far bang so that Mingyu and Jihoon don't have to fight in like the fight of passion. And then one of them dies. One of them does not die. If they no, fought. no, sorry. Let me clarify. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was not my best phrased sentence. Yes, I did not intend to imply that their ponfar banging ended with one of them dying. That's not at all what happened. Anyway, allow me to read this bit from the mind meld scene that made me uh, hurgle sob emoji per my notes. He is extending a hand as he realizes a bond has been opened without intention, and he means to show Mingyu what is too vast to say what no Vulcan would ever say aloud. This was never meant to happen, he means to confess in the meld, but you are not a mistake. Not to me. I am yours if you will have me. So basically, they're equally intense about each other and also very poetic about it. And it's so beautiful. And they get to be together. And I'm so happy for them. And it's really important to me. (laughs) It's giving, it's rotten work, not to me, not if it's you. Yeah, yeah. It's rotten mm-hmm. work. Wait, no, I'm the rotten work. No, I'm the rotten work. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Wow. I'm just so fond of them. And I think like the whole mind meld scene is super, super beautiful. So if you end up reading this story, you can look forward to that. It is a treat. Um, but I think authors so often do such an impressive job to me of writing out this absolutely unexplainable occurrence, this thing that happens in a way that it is impossible to fully capture it with language. They do really interesting things with the prose, and it tends to move in a lot of directions. In this case, this author kind of writes out these questions or thoughts or um, 
things that are coming up in their minds without quotation marks. And the fact that it happens earlier and then it gets paralleled later on from the other side is so smart. And I think it just really works and is emblematic of a lot of the intentional prose choices this author makes in this story. Yes, one of the parallels or intentional prose choices that Nick was talking about that really stuck out to me and I thought was really well done, and again, I think was heavily emphasized by the nonlinear narrative, is a particular repetition of the phrase one, two. So the first time it comes up is when Mingyu is again being uh, just deeply normal and chill about Jihoon and is really trying to understand him. Uh, and is thinking a lot about like Vulcans and their expression of feelings and emotions. Um, and there's a couple of lines that read, Mingyu would say, I can't be objective when it comes to you, and I've tried. I know the diameter of your shoulders because they stretch your goddamn uniform. And I know how long you smile when you're really happy, because I know how to look. Just two seconds. One, two. And the first time that line came up, I was like, oh my god, I'm wailing, I'm in my Jigyu feelings. The second time that one, two comes up, <laughs> is when um, Jihoon has a fever, as we later find out because of Ponfar, but the characters don't know that yet. And so Wanu reaches out to grab Jihoon's arm to stop him from leaving the infirmary. And in a matter of one, two, Jihoon throws Wanu to the floor and dislocates his shoulder. And Mingyu gets up and Mingyu is bleeding. And it's this horrible moment. It's a one, two, Jihoon shrugging Mingyu off and sedating himself, one, two, falling to the floor. Like, it is horrible to read. And for me, I think was made all the more effective for the repetition of that phrase, especially in direct contrast to how the first time we saw it was like happy and sweet. And again, this like deeply loving and devoted trying to understand Jihoon contrasted with how much Jihoon is pulling away in this moment, how much he is fridging everyone out and how wretched it is the image of Jihoon dislocating the arm of one of his closest friends. It's so good. Yeah, so a lot of the second chapter takes place on the planet of Vulcan because the crew brings Jihoon back there to sort of complete this marriage ceremony to his betrothed, this um, other Vulcan named Jonghan, um, who also is a member of 17. But in this, he's a Vulcan <laughs> on the planet Vulcan who has been betrothed to Jihoon. Uh, Jonghan does not want this marriage. Um and because Jihoon is experiencing Ponfar, they can either sort of complete this marriage ceremony and like the bonding um, in that respect, or they can like fight. And Jonghan can like also name a representative to like fight for him. Through some twisty turny regulations, uh, Mingyu ends up being the one who like who is going to like go into this combat scenario. Um, this takes a lot of like trust. Um, and Mingyu sort of, like, is able to intuit things about Jonghan that I think, like, the other Vulcans aren't picking up on, which I think is really interesting, because within the Star Trek universe, like, Vulcans as a species, we kind of know them as being, like, cold and logical, but a lot of this is a learned thing that, like, they truly have these very, like, deep and intense emotions that as a society they learn to control and suppress, and obviously their physiology like allows them to do this in a way that I think human physiology would struggle with a lot more. But it is also a societal choice. You do not have to complete the rituals that allow you to like, I mean, you kind of do it to live on Vulcan, but like you wouldn't have to. It's not like your body naturally does it. It is a learned mechanism to a certain extent. Um, and within the sort of world of Vulcan lore, like Ponfar is sort of 
this time where a lot of that is like coming up it's like your body kind of can't handle how much you've suppressed your emotions to a certain extent um but i think it's really interesting that like mingyu as a human is able to read these things about jonghan and the like emotions that are at play here that like the vulcans don't see um and Obviously, as a lover of original Star Trek, you know, we're always playing with sort of the human and Vulcan aspects of Spock as a character. But I think it's really important here that, like, we really just have the human and the Vulcan as two sort of separate entities that aren't combined in a character. And yet we're also seeing how the sort of emotions really do connect the two, even beyond just Jihoon and Mingyu's romantic connection um yeah i just really liked that sort of exploration of the emotional elements that mingyu is able to pick up on yeah it's again it's like so much good solid character work that pulls on the world building i think especially like if you're like brenna a star trek fan there's a lot to pull out of this story i was looking at some of the bookmarks on this fic and wow so many of them are like i should watch star trek i should read a star trek <laughs> novelization i should go read some star trek fic they just got people in the mood <laughs> Uh, my one last note, I wish I could give you 10 last notes. Ficklets, I have so much to say about this story, um, so I'll be quick. Um, there is a podfic of this story if you would rather listen to it. It is recorded by a friend of the pod, Avery Tree, so if you would like to check that out, I think that's another great way to experience this story. Um, and I think that will be my last note, because if I start saying more things about the fic itself, uh, we're going to be here for a long time, and we have another fic to discuss. So thank you so much for listening to this discussion about Voyages, a fic that I love dearly. Wow, a beautiful story. I have emotions, and I was so glad to foist them upon my co-hosts. Thank you. Let's race into the next discussion. Read. My fic that I picked for host Brenna is Leave No Space by Linearity. It is a Formula One RPF fic for the pairing Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen. This is a new pairing that we are bringing to the pod, a familiar fandom though. My process of choosing this fic is that before my co-hosts had texted in our group chat like SOS, I need ideas, what do I bring for you? I was already set and done. The moment that we said host rec exchange and I knew that I had Brenna, <laughs> I was like, I am going to bring a Queen's Thief fic because Brenna got really into the series and then got me into the series. We listened to the first book together on audiobook when we were road tripping. I was like, it just makes perfect sense. Um, so I went and I found a lovely little Costas Cabot fic and I went, I'm all set. And then Brenna was like, here's a list of things that I would maybe like. And one of them was Formula One, which I had already ruled out in my brain because I know that Brenna has read so much more for Formula One than I have. But then Brenna was like, I've mostly been reading Manuel, Max Daniel, and George Alex. So I was like, hmm, you know what I know is that Brenna's TikTok is really trying to make her a Lestapin girly. And what can I do? I can further that agenda. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do want to say I did put Queen's Thief on my little list I sent to you. You did. I would have also been very happy with that. I really appreciate that you went in the Lestapin direction, but that was also a really good instinct read and I was on the same page as you. I also appreciate that you did that. <laughs> yeah, we can get into your thoughts in a bit, Nick. Um, honestly, I'll probably bring the Costas Kemet fic at some point later in the pod because I do really like it. But um, this felt like the right moment for Lestapin. 
Because if you have listened to our other Formula One discussions before, you will probably know that Brenna and I are um, manual. It, Maxial is their actual ship name, but it, it is manual for us now and forever. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> it's manual on the pod. Yeah, of course. yeah. Not being in a fandom means you get to just make up whatever ship names you want well, also, and force like, your friends to Maxial adopt them. Maxial was like not how you say... like. I don't say Daniel, um, <laughs> so it felt weird. And then also Maxiel Maxiel was, was kind was of giving too... Destiel. Yeah, it's giving yeah. Destiel. That was my <laughs> first thought the first time I saw it, and I was I can't do this again. Yeah, I also prefer Manuel. Um, I know that Bren and I are both fans of Charles, and I know that Bren was not opposed to reading Lestappen Fix, or as Nick will say, Verklerk. Verklerk. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so in the span of about, like, four days, I read about 100k of Lestapin. This fic was not on my radar at first because it is the second in a series. And so I kept seeing it and I kept seeing especially the third fic and I was so eyes emoji about it. I was like, there's so many things from like the summary and the tags that seem so up the alley of things we love to talk about in fic click, but I can't bring something that's the middle of a series. Yes, I can. Um, I just decided to read this fic first without reading the first fic in the series to see if it was comprehensible and it super was and I really liked it and I liked a lot of the things that it was doing and I said great I'm gonna bring this I did then go back and read the first fic in the series and I think it helped flesh some things out but frankly I do think this fic does a perfectly fine job of setting up the things that happened in the first part of the series we have talked about a few Formula One fix on the pod, but I think the most recent ones have all been AUs, so I am just going to reorient us in the sport of Formula One in case you're unfamiliar. Formula One is a sport in which they drive cars really fast around tracks. There are 10 teams each with two drivers, and there tend to be pretty complicated relationships between the drivers on a team because it is both a team and an individual sport. Each driver wants to win. There's only one person who can be the world champion, but... The teams also want their drivers to both do well because the teams want the most points possible. Um, it tends to create some intense rivalries and competitive feelings. Very rarely are teammates friends, um, but sometimes. And then sometimes they are friends who turn into strong enemies. Some important things to know that get established in the first fic of this series is that halfway through the 2023 season when they are on summer break, Lewis Hamilton announces his retirement, which means Mercedes has an open seat and they are very publicly and actively gunning for Charles. Charles, in his head, has already miserably committed himself to Ferrari for the rest of his life, despite knowing that they will probably not get their shit together for some time, and he is watching his hopes of a championship slip away through his fingers. He goes to a bar, he encounters Max, where Max basically tells him that Christian Horner, who is the team principal for Red Bull, is one of the only people who is not trying to get Charles on their team. Christian does not want Charles at Red Bull, because... It is not great to have two highly competitive drivers who may not play nice together. Max, however, is like, I've already won three championships. I know that Charles could be competitive if he was in a better car, and I think it would be fun if we raced together. So he basically tells Charles, I've been fighting with Christian. I want you as my teammate because there is an open seat at Red Bull, and all you have to do is call Christian. That seat could be yours. Uh, and that changes Charles' trajectory. He does decide to take Max up on that offer, and so... This fic opens with the back half of 2023 before Charles is officially at Red Bull, but with everyone having the public knowledge that at the end of this season, Charles will be leaving Ferrari for Red Bull. A lot of this fic is Charles grappling with what it means to be leaving Ferrari and also navigating his dynamic with Max. Um, 
in real life, Max and Charles have known each other since they were little. They grew up carting together, going up through Formula 3. Um, they've known each other, I think it was like 16-something years at the start of this fic. So they are definitely friendly, but they're not super close. There are drivers who have known each other since childhood who are much better friends. Um, and Max and Charles get along well, as far as we understand their real-life people to be, but they are not known for being hashtag besties. And so this fic also explores that, what it means to know someone for most of your life and to be in the environment that is competitive professional sport and to know someone deeply and also not really know them at all and feel a weird distance that is going to be bridged by the fact that you know that you're going to be teammates together. Sprinkle on top of this the fact that the fic opens with Charles finding out that Max likes to fuck men, which sends Charles into a tailspin, and that is what is going on in this fic. The other thing to know that is both um, sort of a reference to real-life events and also are my content warnings for the fic is that this fic deals a lot with death and grief. There was a Formula One driver named Jules Bianchi who was Charles's godfather. He was about six or seven years older than Charles, who it was known that very likely he was going to race for Ferrari um, and ended up having a really tragic accident while racing in Formula One that he passed away from. A number of years later, I think it was 2020, Charles ends up signing for Ferrari, which is where he is currently racing. And at the time that he signed, there was a lot of conversation both from him and from the media about what it meant to be taking up the mantle that was sort of expected to be Jules's. And there was rumination about that in this fic as well. Um, one other thing is this fic does reference the fact that Charles's father passed away about two years after Jules as well. Um, again, this fic touches on many subjects, but grief is at the center of it um, and the understanding of where Charles is currently and his feelings about leaving Ferrari and what it represents beyond just a racing team. And so I did want to flag those things as being pretty present themes. That all being said, I had a lot of fun with this fic. There are so many things I really liked about it, especially on a reread. I was just losing my gourd over so many things. We love a sports RPF narrative on this pod, and this fic hits so many things that I know all three of us really, really enjoy. So this was a gift to Brenna, but um, I guess a gift to both of you. You're welcome, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, when I said to you that I was open and interested in getting Formula One fic for pairings I hadn't read, I was wondering if you'd go a Lewis route, mm. um, but I also thought it was very possible that I would end up with a Verstappen fic, which I have been curious about. You are completely right that my FYP on TikTok is dedicated to the Verstappen agenda. Um, you know that Taylor Swift lyric that's like, he was sunshine, I was midnight rain. <laughs> um, I got like 17 fucking Mostafin <laughs> edits to that. Wow. And also like both directions. Both people were both sunshine <laughs> and midnight rain. Versatile. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was absolutely cracking me up. Um, I enjoy the Charles and Max friendship that we've especially seen come out, I think, this season. Um... As Reed mentioned, they have been racing together for a long time. They are the only two on the grid who are the same age, so that really put them in a prime spot to sort of come up through all the levels of racing together. Um, I think Max recently said that he always felt like if he made it to Formula One, Charles would too, um, which is potent. I'm not going to lie. Also, as we all know, I just, I fucking love a sports narrative. Like, it's so good. Honestly, I love a sports narrative even when it's not, like, homoerotic and fan fiction-y. <laughs> I just love a good sports narrative. It's so compelling. I love watching people, like, struggle and overcome and win. It's, I love it. It's great. Um, 
So I have been very curious about Lestappen. Um, I really enjoyed this fic. I think this is one where you can really tell that the author is very into the sport and not just into sort of the fan fiction side. Um, and there's a lot of little details about the sport. And uh, you can really tell that they've thought out this fictional universe in which Charles is going to sign with Red Bull. Um I went and looked because the name of the author sounded familiar, and I have actually read other fic by them oh. that isn't Charles Max. Um, <laughs> so I was I was I was familiar with their game linearity, um, and their their game is often pretty well characterized, like canonish fic. And we know I love it over here. Um, I really like this. I have never read like a Charles POV before and I like this Charles I'm excited to like get into some of the character work that it does for him and for Max like I think I have a lot to say about that um I'm gonna really endeavor here to like place my tin hat on the desk and not on my head <laughs> uh-huh. it's hard for me I sometimes when we're talking about sports RPF I'm like struggling between like the fact that I absolutely love these pretend little narratives but I also want to make sure that people realize that I am aware that it's pretend and like I don't (laughs) think these things are real and when I'm talking about these characters I am talking about them as characters like this is not what I actually think of Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen as real human beings who are out there in the world um I know that's like not something we always talk about with RPF. I feel like we just kind of assume that you guys understand that. But I think especially when it's something that people often get like derided for being a fan of something in like a casual way or like as a woman, people are like, oh, well, you only like a sport because like the guys are cute. And it's like, okay, well, I also like the sport. Like I'm enjoying (laughs) all aspects. Okay. (laughs) I'm enjoying the fast cars. (laughs) um i'm in it for the but sadness i'm also really enjoying this fan fiction yeah i i am often in it for the sadness <laughs> like i'm not in a group chat with brenna and our friend m talking about pit stop strategy because we're like ooh, but charles is cute like no i'm unfortunately <laughs> just in this sauce uh-huh like charles is an attractive man i have to give it to formula one oh, for yeah. having some very handsome drivers but all that being said, I had a great time with this. I'm really excited to dive into it. And I wanted to make one sort of clarifying statement. No one has brought this up to us, but Reed and I were talking about it among ourselves, that we sort of say Charles's name wrong. And I just want to apologize uh-huh. to him and any sort of purist <laughs> listeners out there. There are sort of two ways you're supposed to say Charles's name, which is either more like Charles Leclerc or Charles Leclerc. And we have made a combo <laughs> of saying Charles Leclerc, which isn't really how his name is supposed to be said. So I am very sorry, Charles, you're not listening to this. I but I am sorry to any Charlies. Get out of here. No, Ch- Charles isn't here. Don't even worry. <laughs> um, I am sorry to any Charlies, the Charles girlies out there um, who might be like, Brenna, you're saying it wrong. Oh, I wow. know, but I'm going to keep saying Charlies are it bad. Wrong. The the no the Charlies are just fucking depressed, man. Oh. Um, Charles has had a rough season. And they've had a rough season with. No him. wonder yeah. he became my favorite. Um, can I share <laughs> yeah. my thoughts on this fic? Yeah. Okay. Please do. So the Christabel PowerPoint fic was for me. Voyages was for Reed, but it was secretly for me. This fic was for Brenna, but it was accidentally also for me. I had a big <laughs> win this episode, ficlets. I loved it all. Um, I am a verklerker. I loved. Okay. One thing, if you, like me, are not really an F1 person, I have absorbed some things through osmosis, but there's still a lot that I don't know or understand, and every once in a while I'll hear a name and go, who on earth? And it's like, oh yeah, that guy's been an F1 for like 10 years, and I'm like, I had no idea. When we experienced Sebastian Vettel. I can't, yeah, that was tough. 
Um, (laughs) This fic, I think, does a really good job of explaining its backstories and explaining things that are happening to you. Um, One of my notes reads, I love this fic already because it keeps explaining backstories to me. Thank you, author. I am very small and I don't know anything. So I appreciated it for that. I think it's readable. I think you can do it. I believe in you. If you have to like do a little bit of Googling, that's fine. You can do that. But I think like what Reed gave you as the setup is probably enough, especially if you are interested in some of these narratives, if you're interested in stories about someone, um, how to say falling in love, but in kind of a, a fraught way where the world is going to potentially be against it. Um, I think a lot of sports narratives and sports RPF like does a really good job with talking about homophobia, internalized and also external in the world. That's a theme that I just think it handles super well and like explores deeply. So this fic did that super well too. Um, I'm obsessed. I was hurgling. I was losing my damn gourd in every direction. I fed my gourd into a rocket ship and it went up in the sky and it exploded. And now there's gourd literally everywhere on Earth. Tiny gourd particles are covering the entire Earth's surface and the oceans. So that's how you know I had feelings. This fic has, it's the second in a series. There is a third that is like 49k exploring the next season and what happens and their relationship. And it's like breakup makeup. And I, hmm, ficlets I can't express to you the way it made me feel to click the next in series button and see the thing that I could only have wished for in my dreams. I don't even know (laughs) these guys. And I was like, oh my God, let's go for Clerkers. We won again. (laughs) We just keep winning. Um, I've only won once so far, but I'm looking forward to continuing to win. So all very exciting. I have a lot of thoughts about this story. Uh, We should get into it because we've been introing it for a long time. I also clicked into work three last night at like yeah. 10 p.m. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited to read this. And then I was like, I have to finish Voyages. <laughs> yeah, good priorities. I almost abandoned chapter two of Voyages no, for the Clark agenda. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I was a responsible podcast I'm host. Glad. I'm just saying. <laughs> Linearity nearly got me. Yeah. Something that I think is so important to know about Charles Leclerc is that he is the poorest little meow meow on the grid. Like... Are there people whose teams are doing worse? Yes. As a Daniel Gurley, I'm suffering. And there are many other teams who are, like, barely scraping into points. So, okay, an important thing to know about, like, the past couple of years of Formula One is that Max has won the World Championship, but the three teams that are in the top, really, are Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari. As recently as two years ago, all of those teams are really competitive, Mercedes especially. Like, Max's first win was barely eked out against Lewis. We will not get into the controversy there. Um, Ferrari, I don't I don't know what has happened. My God. The car is not the worst one on the grid, but their strategy, garbage. I wish I had a soundboard that was just, like, booing, toilet flush noises, <laughs> like, car wreck explosions. Um, and it has been so tragic to witness, like... Anytime Charles gets a glimpse of hope that either he or the team might be doing better, it is snatched away from him. I cannot talk about Charles's Monaco races. They bring me so much. I'm so sad. The depths of despair, honestly. So that is sort of the context for the Charles that we get in this fic. And I think, again, as we have mentioned, the characterizations in this fic are really good and compelling. And as Brenna said specifically, it was really interesting to be in a Charles POV and to really dig into 
what it is like to have the weight of all of these expectations on you, not just because you're a professional driver, but because there is the trying to live up to what he thinks that Jules and his father would have wanted from him, trying to live up to the legacy of Ferrari. Like, it is an iconic name in cars within this sport. It means so much to be a driver for Ferrari as a team. And the Charles of this fic really takes that to heart, and it weighs on him a lot. A lot of the grief in this fic is just around, like, who he thinks he should be and what he thinks he should be living up to. And I liked that, okay, do I personally think it would be a good idea for Charles and Max to both be on Red Bull? Absolutely not. With all, okay, respect to the Max of this fic who thinks that it would be fun, because I do genuinely think Max would enjoy racing against Charles if they were in cars of, like, equal strength or whatever. I think they would be very bad teammates. But I love that the Charles of this fic goes on this journey of, like, leaning into being a little bit more selfish, like, leaning into the, like, I want to win, I have this hunger, I have all of this grief weighing me down. I don't know. I thought Charles's journey in this fic was so good, especially because this fic, again, does take place before he even makes it to Red Bull. It's just him reckoning with, like, the end of his career at Ferrari and what it is going to mean in the next year to be at Red Bull with Max. Oh, it was so good. This fic was so good. I literally can't speak about selfishness and hunger because I'll just start screaming about the themes and I will literally never stop. Ah, they're so okay. It's so good. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to make <laughs> horrible noises into the microphone <laughs> because people are listening to this, but I have a lot of emotions. And I think the selfishness through line, especially, there's a whole through line in this story where Max is like, You're not altruistic, Charles. But it's a good thing. And Charles is like, I don't know that word until he eventually looks it up and is like, oh, damn. <laughs> wow. Tough to be told I don't like put others needs above my own. But he also is like, yeah, kind of true. And it brings me to my thoughts about rivalry in this story. I'm just going to read out of my notes. I took notes this episode um, because I had so many emotions. So I wrote, I love Charles reflecting on rivalry, which he does for a bit. And then I wrote, when you're literally racing each other all the time, you don't have to hate each other. The rivalry exists either way on the track, so your relationship gets freed up in a way that it might not if there weren't discrete positions doled out every single race to show where people are in relation to one another and the hierarchy of the positioning in general. If you're the best, then all you have to do is prove it. And then I said, hold on, faded rivals? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, <laughs> because the fic is like, oh, and they were called faded rivals. And then I wrote, you're kidding. And then I wrote, I'm Verklerker. <laughs> His journey. And I love this for you, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> I also love this journey. I dropped a link in our Discord server to a real life article where the first line is Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen were destined for this, not just fighting for a Formula One title, but fighting against each other for it. And the amount of emoji reactions Nick left to it was inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> to express my it really feelings. Is. In some I'm obsessed way. with this journey for Nicole. Um, I feel like I can talk about Formula One more at them now. <laughs> Which is a win for me. Yeah, congrats, I guess. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think like the rivals but friends thing is something that's very potent to the to the Verklerkers, to the Lestapis. Um, That's definitely something that the those uh, shippers seem to be quite enamored with. And I get it. That's a that's a potent narrative. Um, As someone who was like, historically unconvinced about the pairing, like I think they're friends and I think their dynamic is interesting. And I would also really like Charles to be in a competitive car with Max because like that would make Formula One much more interesting. 
I do think it would be better if Charles was in a competitive car that wasn't also Red Bull. I do not think that they would be good teammates, <laughs> but I do like this thought experiment. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's interesting for a few reasons, but also interesting to me personally as a Daniel girly. Um, I, I do know that that's not where I was supposed to be going. That's <laughs> where I've gone. Okay, hear me out. It's interesting for me as a Daniel girly for two main reasons. One, I feel like Charles's narrative in this a bit mimics Daniel's narrative in the first season of Drive to Survive where he's leaving Red Bull. Like, sorry, Reed's making a face. <laughs> I can't the keep the noise I just made on the pod because it was wretched, but... <laughs> um, Because season one of the Netflix reality show Drive to Survive, which follows Formula One and has helped boost Formula One's popularity worldwide, but specifically in America, it opens with Daniel... Ricardo making the decision to leave Red Bull and leave being Max's teammate. His feeling is like, I am too secondary and I know Red Bull is going to keep prioritizing Max and not necessarily that they like shouldn't prioritize Max, but that he wants to go somewhere where he has a chance to win and to be competitive and where they're going to sort of prioritize what he wants for the car. This works out very poorly for him. Um, but I was thinking about that a lot with Charles's feelings here of like this sort of guilt about leaving Ferrari, this place that he's always wanted to race for. And like, as someone like before I knew anything about Formula One, I knew Ferrari. It's like, it's iconic. And Charles is like struggling so much with that, but also with this self-interest of like, I, I want to be able to like compete and Ferrari's not giving me that. And I think that is such a thing that you see continuously as a narrative within the sport and with like a lot of sports, but specifically one where like you can't just do it on your own and you can't do it with you and a trainer. You have to work with this team and this team has to be also building you something that you can win with. Formula One is such a team sport in a really fascinating way, I think. Um, and in a way where like you can't just turn it around necessarily within like a race or two it takes like years of development on these cars and if you make a shitty one it's shitty for a season you can make minor adjustments and you can probably eke out some improvements but like it's gonna still be shitty <laughs> and i think this this need to be selfish in the sport is really interesting which brings me to my second point of thinking about daniel ricardo um <laughs> as a noted manual shipper i think something that's like compelling to people about that ship is like when Max and Daniel were teammates at Red Bull, Max was kind of a more of a toxic little kid than he is now. <laughs> he wasn't a kid, but like he came in with a very juvenile energy, I think, and very sort of like didn't really know how to like navigate the world. And also like his dad fucking sucks. We've talked about this on the pod before, but like noted IRL father of Max Verstappen is like a horrible man who we hate. Um and I think, like, it's genuinely part of their real narratives that, like, Daniel kind of showed him how to, like, be a human in the sport. And also genuinely how to, like, enjoy Formula One in a way that I don't think Max was enjoying it before. And I think it's interesting to see the Max of this fic have sort of grown into that person who can be selfish and who can enjoy things for himself in a way that I don't see as much in manual fics that are set a few years earlier. And I think it's both something about the, like, dynamics of those pairings, even in a non-romantic way, even just in a friendship way. But also something about just like the growth of Max as a person and as a person who at this point has won three world titles, even if one is a little bit um, of an asterisk world title, he's at least won two on his and Red Bull's merit um, and has been at the top of the sport and like is just in a very different position. And I think this fic explores that in a way that I found really compelling. And I think for Charles, there's something about 
Max's positioning in the sport, not just as like the person who's been winning all of these races, but also just someone who is sort of self-confident and settled in this way at Red Bull that Charles absolutely isn't at Ferrari. Um, like there's a bit later on where Max is like, hey, just come on my private jet with me. Like it's going to be logistically a lot easier and it genuinely would be. Um, and Charles is sort of like, well, I have to like text and ask if that's like okay with Ferrari. And Max is like, what? Just like <laughs> do it. Yeah. Do it and put your phone on airplane mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is so sort of like Charles is opening his eyes to this, what he could have if he was just sort of like willing to like do it and then ask forgiveness later <laughs> which is a very red bull way of thinking i think and very not a ferrari way of thinking uh-huh. um so i just really i don't know that was a long spiel for me but those were some things that i really was thinking about and enjoying throughout this fic ficklets we're getting towards the end of this discussion which i cannot believe because i have so many things to say as for clerker so i'm gonna say two things really fast so that it's like in the space of one thing <laughs> okay, the first one is um towards the end they have a kiss. Yay, spoilers. Pew, 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 pew. They get together. It's beautiful. And there's a line that says Max kisses like he races and then it continues on to describe that. Uh, and I wrote, this is my italicized O moment. I will never get sick of an ex kisses like the thing they're most passionate about in the whole world line. It's so good. It is so character driven oriented. It's so fan fiction. It's so perfect. I was obsessed with that. And then I talk, I said, I told you earlier that the theme of hunger made me physically unwell. That's not true. It made me emotionally unwell. Physically, I was fine. <laughs> but here's a line from like pretty much the very end of the story where Charles is thinking, ahem. Where is your hunger? He sometimes asks himself when he's mid-race and tempted to settle for second place. Here it is, he tells himself now. Here it is. And I said, high-pitched kettle noises. This was a gift for me. This is my manual. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so passionate about this story, author. I hope you know that you've converted someone who literally never had a single thought about this ship or like caring about any F1 ship. I'm here now. Thank you. Yeah, I have a million more things I could say about this fic. Um, I'm in agony. When I just bring this fic again and a future episode so we can talk about it more, keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> Me too. Let's all three bring it for a future episode. Okay, we do another episode. It's just a mini set about this. Um, well, hey, we did do that episode one time where we revisited fics we wanted to talk about That's more. so true. We it for September. Maybe. Um, in our discussion of Nick's fic, we talked about lines that are recurring and how they change throughout a fic. And there were a couple recurring beats in this fic. And there's one particular through line that made me feel deeply ill. I did feel physically unwell, like in my stomach. I was like, ah. So I'm going to read a little bit um, because I think it both is a good progression of Charles's character. And also, again, just because I felt just unwell. I was dying. Okay. This first scene, they're at a club and they've been like kind of flirty. And Max asks Charles, what are you looking for? And so you think that the answer might be something flirty, but no. The fic reads, there are a lot of answers to that question. A championship forever and always. A gap to overtake the racing line. My brothers to hold my hand. Papa, sometimes when I'm standing up on the top step of the podium, looking out into the crowd and praying for a miracle. Later in the fic, um, sort of when it's like towards the end of the season, Sunday afternoon, lights out and away we go. Charles thinks back to what Max had asked him the night of his birthday. What are you looking for? Sometimes he looks for the hurt. Sometimes it is all he has. Sometimes it is the only thing keeping him going. The grief, the promise he made. Who is Charles if not a broken thing praying for a championship to fix him? Today, though, today, he watches out for a blue car in his mirrors. (laughs) I'm gonna throw my laptop through my window. Literally, AO3 user linearity, um... 
thank you and also square up for making all of us feel this I'm deeply unwell. Of your house. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I could be. <laughs> yeah, emotionally. Yeah. This fic, if you cannot tell, positively slapped. It is so good. Again, there are so many more things I want to talk about with it, but we can't because we simply do not have the time. So instead, my pitch is go read it. Um, if Nick's journey was not enough to convince you, this is a fic for everyone. Become Verklerker. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's a cruel sport, a zero-sum game. Every seat you fill, every position you gain, someone else loses it. Linearity. I feel like that is just like an advertisement <laughs> for Netflix's Drive to Survive. <laughs> That's true. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of FitClick. We hope you enjoyed us recommending stories to one another and that if you are participating in the Rec Exchange, you look forward to all of that happening as well. If you would like to keep up with FitClick other places aside from your podcast feed, then you can find us on Twitter for as long as that survives at FitClick. Uh, you can email us at fitclickpod at gmail.com. Or you can join our Discord server, which is linked in the pinned tweet on our Twitter account. It is a multi-fandom space that is super lovely. We always have fun recommending stories to each other, like hold hands and sing songs, and it's really beautiful. If you love FitClick and would like to spread the good word, you can do so in a variety of ways. You could either recommend this podcast to someone, and we'd love you very much for doing that. Um, you could perhaps write a little note that says listen to fit click and like put it in someone's stocking at christmas um or like under the tree i think that that could be really good cute you could write it in the snow outside of someone's window um these are just some, <laughs> a few ideas for you um it'd be really long but like you could do it especially if they live like on a higher story in a building um oh, you've yeah. got room uh you can also leave us a review on apple podcasts we would love it you can also give us five stars on spotify and we'd also love it if you did that thank you so much um if you're in a giving mood and you'd like to donate to us monetarily we do have a ko-fi where you can do so our next episode is actually our annual year in review mini-sode where we just sort of talk about our past year of fandoming and other interests, things both fic and non-fic related. That will be coming out on December 22nd, and that will be our last post of the year. And then we will be greeting you in 2024 with our birthday episodes. So stay tuned on our socials to find out whatever fix host Brenna will be bringing for that. And otherwise, we hope to see you in our wrap-up mini-sode. Dreams. Oh. Oh, and we also hope to see you in our dreams, <laughs> I guess. I don't know that I actually hope for yeah. that. I hope we are in your dreams. I hope you are oh. dreaming about FitClick. FitClits, I'm literally the priest's favorite sacrificial lamb because I am so docile and sweet, and I hold very still when they put rope around my neck, and I trot along so happily when they lead me to the altar, and they do not even have to tie me down because I lie so very still and only bleat once or twice in my lovely lamb voice, and when the knife come da comes down, it cuts through me like butter, and I offer no resistance, and I bleed so prettily all over my new white wall, and my guts all unspool like the most beautiful shining yarn, and my eyes are so animal and dumb and hold no accusation, and every time I die, I come right back as another little lamb because the priest loves me so so much and he always chooses me for the sacrifice every time and he always places one hand on my small twitching nose to call me while he lifts the knife and he doesn't do it for the other lambs only me because i'm his favorite do you want to say bye to them okay bye ficklets you are not a mistake not to me i am yours if you will have me bye ficklets i'm off to find the racing line bye